if you have a copy of the scripture, I would invite you to look with me in Romans chapter 5. We're going to, this morning, we're going to look at verses 12 through 21, so we'll finish this chapter together. One to remind you and set the stage for the book of Romans. So let's remember that the point of the book is to communicate to us that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done is God's power. The gospel is God's power. And it's not power like spinach was for Popeye. It's not power like Thor's hammer. It is life itself. It is oxygen. It is everything for us. Whether you are exploring what Christianity is or whether you've been a believer twice as long as I've been alive, the gospel is God's power. We also want to set the stage by remembering that going through the book of Romans is like climbing Mount Everest. It is a long journey. It is strenuous. It is going to stretch us in all kinds of ways. That said, One of the things that I've tried to prep all of us for in going through Romans is that we are going to have to face our fears when we go through the book of Romans. And this morning, we're probably going to have to come face to face with some particular fears that we have. Uh, One is this. What are you going to do when you realize that you are more lost than you have been told? What What are you going to do? What am I gonna do when God tells me that I am lost, 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 and it is a lost that I have not heard about before? We're gonna face that today. Another thing we're gonna face is this. What are you gonna do when God is bigger than you ever thought? When God is more powerful than you've been told or than you've learned? We're gonna have to face that today. Now that one may not hurt too much, maybe, right? We're also gonna have to come to face to face with the reality that, mm, well, let's just put these together. We're not enough. And what what, what am I gonna do when I realize that I'm not enough? We have to face that today. Now let's get a little more specific. These verses we're looking at in 12 through 21 of Romans 5, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on verses 13 and 14 or 20 and 21. Uh, I just don't have the time today to show how all of that uh, is connected with the verses, but it is. And just just because um, I'm not going to give you a lot of detail about those verses doesn't mean they're unimportant. Paul remembers addressing this church in Rome that he loves. It's made up of those who are non-Jewish people and those who are ethnic Jews. And so he has to continue to bring up the idea of the law because he is trying to communicate to his audience, particularly the Jews, because what's on their mind is the relationship. What, what, is, what, is, what you're saying, Paul, how does that relate to everything we've ever known? So in 13 and 14 and 20 and 21, He takes the main concept of these verses and then connects it to and shows the part of his audience how it's connected, what he's saying to the law. So just briefly, I want you to look at verse 13 and 14 if you have it. And what's going on here is this. Paul is answering the question, what is the relationship of what Adam did to Moses and the law? And this is what he says in answer. I'm going to keep this very brief. In verses 13 and 14, Paul says... Guilt is greater after Moses than before because there's more clarity. But at the end of the day, from Adam forward, death still reigned. 
Everybody died. Whether there was uh, young, old, educated or not, death was everywhere. So even though there's greater clarity given when Moses came and the law was codified, death was still reigning. Second, if you look at verse 20 and 21, the law was given so that sin increases more. What Paul is not saying here is that there are now more numerical sins because the law is given. What he's communicating is this. When the law was given, it furthered our understanding of sin. It made sin more clear. All right. So, if you're a note taker, hopefully you can read those verses and that's get the heart of it, which I just said there. So, let me um, read verses 12 through 21. Sorry. Yeah, 12 through 21, Romans 5. Sorry. I'm, I am not the clearest this morning. So, if you would, listen to this. This is God's word. You can bank your entire life on it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Christ Jesus, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you work through your word we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you cause us to understand these words and you cause us to change. So I ask, Lord, that you would help us not be present this morning because we're just trying to get some advice. Help us not to think, keep us from thinking that we've come into your presence because we just need to learn how to be better or nicer. Change us, Lord, so that when we come into your presence, we come into your presence because we want to hear good news. And we want to be changed by that news. Help us to come into your presence because we know that we need more of Jesus. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to Christ. We ask that you would work in us, challenging us, correcting us, encouraging us, by bringing us to Jesus. For it is in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.
Now, before we get into the text, I want you to know on the front end, this is not an easy text to take in. This is going to be offensive, and I want you to just hang in there, because this passage is anti-Western. This passage is pushing against our individualism. And that individualism is really, really deep within us. Like all of us come out assuming that we bring a lot to the table. All of us come out and think that we um, rise and fall, we, we have success or we fail based upon our decisions, based upon our effort, based upon things that we do. We all automatically think, because we live where we do, that my decisions determine what I get or what I don't. And sometimes, that individualism can be so deep and so profound that we are blind to systemic problems. That we are blind to the fact that there are institutional problems that we miss the fact that there are things baked in to our way of life that are just fundamentally wrong because we put so much emphasis on thinking that we bring so much to the table that we can make all kinds of things happen and when it doesn't work, well, we just need to try harder and do better. And I want you to understand that this passage, Romans 5, 12 through 21, God is showing us that there is a very different framework by which to look at life. It boils down to this. I'll be as, as blunt as I can. There are really only two people that ultimately matter in the history of ever. <laughs> there are really only two people that ultimately matter. And that's not saying that I'm insignificant or you're insignificant. It's not saying that at all. God is teaching us. God is teaching us that there really are only two people that matter more than anyone else. Anyone else. So let's look together at those two people. And then we're going to have two takeaways. You follow me? So if you want to know what this passage is about, I hope you can leave today knowing well, God says that really only two people matter. So we're going to look at those two, think about ourselves along the way, and then two takeaways. So let's jump in. Let's start with the first guy. Let's start with Adam. Look at verse 12. Look at what stunning thing God tells us about Adam. In Adam, we see the beginning of sin. Look at these phrases in the first part of verse 12. Sin began with Adam. Not only that, but death began, excuse me, death started because of that sin. Then look at the next phrase. That sin and death spread everywhere, throughout the whole world. Adam sinned, his action brought about death and destruction, and it spread everywhere. Now, some people would say, if you want to, let's try to put this in perspective a little bit. Um, I've read one guy that said, if you want to understand the modern world, you need to remember three dates. 1397, 1769, and 1948. 
1397, the first bank started. 1769, steam engine. 1948 was the theory of information by Claude Shannon. Those three dates and those three things gave birth to the modern world that we live in. Things transitioned from land to money. Things transitioned from animals to machines. Things transitioned from wisdom to information and getting information. Those things that you, <clears throat> that we hold all the time, our phones and the internet and all that, all came because of the theory of information. That gave birth to the modern world that we live in. And what God is saying is that what Adam did was far deeper and far more, and much more profound. That what Adam did brought sin, uh, death, a disease, and it went and it spread everywhere, through everyone. Then look at the last phrase of verse 12. This is when things start to get real personal. All sinned, all sinned. What God is telling us is that when Adam sinned, we sinned in him. In other words, God is telling us that, that we don't just imitate Adam, we don't just make decisions similar to Adam. What God is saying is that when Adam sinned, we were there and we did the same thing that he did. We were present there because Adam was our representative. And this, I know, is what is, pushes against our Western individualism because we hear that and we begin to think, wait a minute, I wasn't there, this isn't fair. And God is saying, well, you were. You were there. All sinned in Adam. Everyone. That day. He was our representative. And when he committed that act, we committed the act. And it's so hard for us to take that in. Because not only do we want to say it's not fair, we just want to say, well, I, I didn't have a choice in the matter. So let's back up and let's try to make sense of this at least a little bit, at least start to make sense of this a little bit. Isn't it funny, if you're willing to do a little reflection, isn't it somewhat funny, if you're willing to think about your life and, yourself and who you are, that whoever you're connected with that benefits you and you have advantages because of them, you have no problem whatsoever benefiting from those that you're connected to. But isn't it funny that most of us don't want to admit when things, when we're connected to people and negative things happen? We get really upset about that or do we just ignore it? That's not, that's not my problem. I, I didn't do that. Isn't it interesting how we're willing to receive good things from people we're connected to but, but not bad things? let's back out a little further and try to make more sense. I want you to imagine that you are a football recruit for the University of Alabama. I try to pick a common enemy <laughs> amongst all of us, except for just a couple of you. Sorry, I know. 
I'll hear about it. One of my, one of the elder, an elder I have, hopefully I won't lose my job, but I sincerely just try to pick a common enemy for all of us. Um, imagine you're a football recruit and Alabama wants you to come play football and they're willing to give you a scholarship to play. You're that good. You walk on that campus, you go into that stadium, and they are offering for you to play in front of over 100,000 people. And you go into the locker room, it's actually like a facility, some of the nicest facilities in the entire country, and you get to use all that is there and have access to everything about the university. And you contributed nothing to that, nothing. But let's say that one of your fellow recruits received money from a booster in cash, because we know that's happening. And let's say the NCAA, let's say the, the NCAA found out that you had received money, not you, excuse me, your friend. And because of that, it led to something else and something else, and they decided to penalize the program and shut it down. Even though you received no money from the booster, that was your friend, they shut the program down, you have to bear the consequences of that, don't you? Yes, it's true that you didn't receive any money, but because you were connected, you must endure the consequences in the same way that you get to benefit from everything there. That's what God is saying that we're all connected. Yes, we have personal responsibilities, but we're connected. We're all connected. Throughout history, we're all connected. Adam, the effect of Adam's decision was like the toxic spill that happened Sorry, my mind is is not working well this morning. Like the toxic spill that happened at Camp Lejeune. That it put cancer-causing agents into the water and and everywhere. It affected everyone. I wanted to bring that up because we have a missionary that we support. Remember Neil and Deb that were here last year? Remember them? One of the reasons why Neil had to come home is because he had cancer. And it was connected to the time that he was at Lejeune. So this is close to us. When Adam committed his act, when Adam sinned, we were there. And that toxic spill has permeated all that we are. And it has rendered us controlled by sin. It has brought death into us. We are dominated by sin and death. We have a sentence of death over our heads. That's what God is teaching us. And and why this is so important that we must see that we are connected to Adam. Why it's so important is because of this. If all we do is imitate Adam, if that's all that God says, If all we do is just imitate Adam, then guess what? The solution would be to make better choices. The solution would be behavior modification. And if you've been taught that that's what the Christian message is, I'm so sorry. 
but it's not what God says. And if we don't see how connected we are, we won't realize how much we are dominated by death and dominated by sin because it has a real grip on us. Not just because we make decisions like Adam, but because we were there when Adam sinned. And everything about us is messed up. Our character, our nature, our ability to make decisions, everything is affected. In other words, we're not morally neutral people. We're not neutral toward God. We're not neutral toward each other. We're not neutral toward the world that we're in. We're under a sentence of death. Now notice at the end of verse 14, this little phrase, so profound. Adam who was a type of him who was to come. You see that? That brings us right to the second person. Though, remember there are only two people that are really important in the history of the world? The second one is Jesus. Verses 15 and following work out what it means to think about Jesus and our connection to him. Again, if, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, just know that he is gonna be fully and he is fully and freely offered to you. And, and, and this is what it means is that we need to recognize that we are in Adam and therefore we're in trouble. And, and then let me tell you about Jesus because he's the only one that gets us out of trouble. This is what happens in verse 15 and following. God tells us that Adam and Jesus, they're alike in some ways and not alike in other ways. Look at verse 15 and 16 and 17. Here are ways that they're not alike. As a matter of fact, the text even works this out and shows you explicitly. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. You see that? It's contrast. Verse 16 as well. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. He's, he's showing us a contrast. You see, in Adam, when Adam sinned, it was completely self-serving. It's what the trespass is indicating, that, that Adam sinned against God and rebelled against God. <clears throat> we sinned and rebelled against God. And it's all selfish. It's all self-serving. But Jesus, when he came, self-sacrifice. He was willing to give up all that he was to serve people like you and me. That he was willing to give up being in the presence of his Father in heaven. He was willing to give up all of those things and come to people like you and me so that we don't have to scramble around, claw around, trying to find God. He comes to us, and he did. He is so different than we imagined many times. Adam's act was selfish. Jesus' act was selfless. It was self-sacrificing and look at verse 16, the results are different. What Adam did brought about condemnation, judgment, sin, death, God's displeasure. But Jesus, what he brings is justification. What Jesus brings is that God looks at us and sees what Jesus has done and says, we good. Forever whether we feel that way all the time or not. 
And this is so scandalous because God actually declares not guilty. God actually declares righteous people that are unrighteous. While we feel unrighteous, God says, you're righteous. And he does all that by grace. We contributed nothing. We merit nothing from any, even our faith doesn't get us anywhere with God. That faith is even a gift. God declares in a scandalous way, God declares us righteous before him. And we're ungodly. And the rest of our walk with Jesus is how that ungodliness turns into Christ-likeness. But he never saves us because he sees great potential. He saves ungodly people like me and you. Then look at verse 17. Here's another contrast. And this one is even more profound. If that were possible... Look at what it says and look closely at what verse 17 says. Death reigned over us. Death reigns over us. But in Jesus, look closely at verse 17. We reign in life through Jesus. Do you see that? Without Jesus, we are dominated by death and dominated by judgment and dominated by sin. We're in bondage to it. But in Jesus, we reign in life that he has brought new life into us. And now sin no longer has dominion. And we reign through Jesus. And that's not just talking about now, that's talking forever. Because what Christ has done brings us to a new heavens and a new earth, which we're with him forever and ever and ever. But here's the way that they're alike, verse 18 and 19. They both represented people. Adam represents everyone who's ever born. And Jesus represents anyone who's been reborn, who lives by grace, who has received all that God says and is striving to live by who God says that we are. Real quick story to help drive this home. Because remember, most of us grew up in homes in which and, and the Old Testament was just moralistic book, you know? It's funny how that spreads over the New Testament. We turned that into a bunch of new morals too, isn't it? You remember the story of David and Goliath? Well, that story is not about how we are David and we need to stand up to the Goliaths in our lives and defeat the big, ugly problem. David and Goliath is a story about representation. David and Goliath is a story that is mirroring and showing us the Christ who is to come. Because guess what? When David won, guess who else won? All of God's people. David was the representation of the greater David that was to come. So the whole story is about how Jesus represents his people. David represents the kingdom. And in David's victory, everyone in the kingdom wins. Everything is about Christ and what he has done for us. 
Well, let's move on to these two takeaways. The first one is this. What Jesus has done has reversed the history of the world. Can you take that in? What Jesus has done reverses the history of the world. What Christ has done changes everything. And, and, and I wanna press this real far. I wanna get this deep into my bones and my life and I want it to get into yours more and more and more. Do not let me ever say death, disease, all that, that's eh, just the way it is. Don't let me say that because Jesus has answered all of it. Death is not normal. Disease is not normal. It's not just the way it is. Jesus has answered in our sin. He is the solution to all of our problems. Beloved, the resurrection is real. What Christ has done means something in the world and in my life. It means that I can hate death. I can hate sin. And I can know that one day it's not gonna be here anymore. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, this is just the way things are. Don't do it. Beloved, believe. And put that belief into action. Truth has been unleashed in the world. The grace of God has come. God's mission has been advancing and it will not stop advancing. There is nothing that can stop the gospel. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Let's try to help each other live like it. Really. Bring that power, bring the truth into your life. Take it with you when you go to work. Work out the truth in your relationships. Work it out with your neighbors. Beloved, death and disease is not just the way things are. It's an enemy that's been defeated. The second thing is this. I wanna, I'm gonna put two ideas together that are not native to myself. I didn't, I, I didn't make these up. But I have worked them out and traced them backwards. Anyway, I don't know how to tell you that I'm not, that I've taken this from somebody. I want you to know that. But I've done something with it. All right? You've probably heard this statement before. This is the second takeaway. That you and I, that we are more lost than we could imagine. And we are more loved than we ever dared to hope. You heard that before? That, that's not native to me. What this passage is telling us is that we are closer to Adam than the years may indicate, than geography may indicate. We're closer to Adam than page one of the Bible. But beloved, we are closer to Jesus than our own skin than our clothes. We're closer to Jesus than this room that we are in. Because one day, we're gonna lose this skin. This mortal body is gonna put on immortality. We are closer to Jesus than our own skin. One day, these clothes, not gonna need them anymore because I have the righteousness of Jesus coming. 
In this room, it is gonna be redone. The whole earth is gonna be redone. You are closer to Jesus than your own skin, than your clothes, than this room because he is gonna make all things new. That is glorious, isn't it? Grace moves us from Adam being our representation to Jesus being our representation. Grace moves us from one to the other. And so that means bring Jesus with you into everything that you're doing, everything you're experiencing, everything that you're going through. Because if you have Jesus, it means that in every situation you're in, you can admit that you're wrong if you need to. In every situation that you're in, you can not only admit that you're wrong, but if you bring Jesus into your life, you can stand up for what's right. And you can have the confidence to say the truth. And you can stand on what is true. And you can process every single thing that you're going through, through Jesus. Whether you need to admit you're wrong, whether you need to stand up for what's right, or whether you just need to process what's going on, you can do all of that because of what Jesus is and who he is. And friends, that means no matter if the future, no matter how uncertain the future is, you've got Jesus. Doesn't matter how dark the times are, you have Jesus. Doesn't matter how great things are going, it's because of Jesus.